0: Terror bites. All this and more coming up on this week in Retro.
1: High-resolution color graphics. This land of high technology.
2: The revolution in technology that made the information age possible. Those kids are not afraid of
0: computers. Simulations on tracks. Ooh, and all is not lost. All this and more coming up on today's show. Up-to-date news for out-of-date tech. Hello, chaps. Welcome to episode number 96. And in Hello. episode 95, Chris has pointed out to me that we missed something quite important. Well, quite important Ooh. to two-thirds of the podcast, maybe not all of us. Um, Chris, you quite <laughs> rightly pointed out that on the 21st of October... Hang on, that's between shows, isn't it? Did we miss this? Tw- no, oh, I the thought 21? it was on last
1: Saturday. Is it was Friday, it yeah, so we missed Friday. it on
0: the Saturday, yeah. So yeah, 21st yeah, yeah. of October... 1992, 30 years ago, is when the Amiga 1200 came out. So happy 30th birthday to the Amiga 1200. Ran from 92 through to 1996. Um, Quick go around all of us. Do we rate the Amiga 1200? I'll go first. Good system. Completely lacking in the library that takes advantage of the system. But still fun to use to go back and explore the older Amiga 500 library as well as the few Amiga 1200 things.
1: Chris? Yeah, I'm starting to rate it because I'm only just discovering it, but it should have had at least an 030 in my opinion. Mm -hmm.
2: I I think it's the best Amiga to play Amiga 500 games. It takes a little bit of the edge off for things like WHD load and so on. It's just a wee bit faster. Um, You can add expansions a bit bit easier. So it's the one to get. I think it's uh, anything above that and it's wildly expensive.
0: Right. So it's the full-size Amiga Mini, yeah, for convenient Amiga computing. (laughs) uh no that's the a600
1: oh we could talk about
0: this forever <laughs> <laughs> yeah so uh, happy birthday to the amiga 1200 um another exciting thing that happened in my week this week which kind of feeds into what i know you're going to mention chris is that i played silkworm on the arcade i think i mentioned Ooh. before that we got silkworm here where well, we fired it up and I had a good old blast on it and it's as good as i remember so i've had a lot of fun playing silkworm in the arcade this week yeah <laughs> how's your week been chris
1: yeah, not too bad. Um, still shying away from retro writing, but I have bought some containers to at least get that job done. Um, mm-hmm. But coming up to given the time of year that it is, I'm thinking of possible. I- I'm undecided whether I just do it for myself or I live stream it. But playing one of my favorite horror games, Fear, um, first-person shooter, wonderful horror game. Chernobyl, Fear one and two there. Um,
2: Chernobyl, no, is is no? That's is that not set in Chernobyl?
1: Oh, is it? I, don't, I should
2: know that. I should know where it was set. Have, it's your favourite All I game.
1: know is it's one of my favourite games. It's, no, I don't think it's set in Chernobyl, is it? It's, no, I'm it's not so sure. You're right. confusing I, me.
0: Hang on. I, I've not played this game, <laughs> but I'm pretty sure I watched the trailers and there was like um, uh, an old theme park in Chernobyl that was sort of spinning round and oh,
1: running down. Oh, towards the end yeah? of Fear 2. That comes in towards the end of Fear 2. There's lots of that kind of imagery all the way through it. So Call of Duty call a duty modern warfare now that's that's chernobyl uh mm. right anyway there we go we can all be uncertain has chris played his favorite game or not no no definitely, <laughs> i definitely i i never occurred to me that some of it was saying chernobyl but i know the scene you're thinking of and that's fear Two, because there's a there's a rather weird ending to fear Two um that a lot of people don't talk watch about watch. because because it's a very weird ending Let's just put it that way. Anyway, anybody that knows Fear Two and has played it to the end knows exactly what I'm talking about. Uh, but other than that, I'm involved in one of those other high score challenges that uh, I get involved in in one of the Facebook groups. I don't mention every single one because these are going on all the time. But when it's a game I am really into, then I do kind of drag on, uh, grab onto it, and try and try and beat everybody else. Of course, which is what you're meant to do. And this current one is Swiv. So yes, it does fit in with your mentioning of Silkworm, Swiv yep. of course being Silkworm 4. Um, what happened to 2 and 3? That's a good question. <laughs> that's a good um, question, yeah. <laughs> that's a very good question. But yeah, um, at I, I thought I was going to be able to say that at time of recording, I had posted the highest score. But while I slept over here in Australia time, um, four other people have posted higher scores than me. So I'm currently at uh, five hundred and seventeen thousand eight hundred and thirty but the current high score is now 576,170. So can we get on with recording this episode? Because I've got to get on Let's the flanks with Swiv.
2: That's in reach. Good luck. Good luck. That's in reach. I hope you yeah. do it.
0: And yeah. I should point out, Chris, SWIFT, it doesn't stand for Silk 1-4. If you watch the intro sequence on the game, these little blueprints appear on the screen, and in mm. one of them apparently it says Special Weapons Interdiction Vehicle.
1: Ah, oh, well, there you, go. there you go.
0: Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Dave, how's your
2: week been? i have become completely addicted to Baldur's gate again it's all yeah. i can think about it's all i can play i'm doing a complete playthrough again and i'm staying up late every minute i've got on playing it it's what i'm going to do as soon as this recording is finished once i've managed to wrangle johnny away from his sabotage if you can see him there people are watching you can see johnny chewing on the microphone stand aggressively <laughs> uh, but yeah Baldur's gate there's, there's no, there's no, um, there's no moderation for me. I, I, I tend to go right into something. It's all I can think about, it and all I can do until it's done. Right on to
0: this week's stories, then. Okay, for our first story this week, we are well into Neil and Chris territory. I think it's the uh, the subject of simulators, the genre for gamers who like to uh, sit in a flight to Malaga on their holidays, thinking. Do you know what? If the pilot has a nut allergy and accidentally eats one right now, I could fly this thing home. Isn't that right, Chris?
1: Absolutely. (laughs) Those thoughts have gone through my head every time I get on a plane. No lying.
0: We've all done it. it. Don't deny it. We've all thought about it. And um, also a certain number of uh, viewers here in the UK will also remember watching the Krypton Factor just for the flight sim segment. God bless you, Gordon Burns. Um, Did the Krypton Factor ever make it further afield than UK Shores? Because it ran for a long time. It ran from the late 70s into Mm. the 90s here in the UK,
1: that show. I'm sure it it must have done, surely. I know in Australia, a lot of the TV is made up of English shows that they just purchase and and air. So I don't know, surely.
2: Okay,
0: well, if you've got the Krypton Factor outside of the UK, let us know because I'd like to see their equivalent flight simulator segment and see what they were doing. I um, sometimes...
2: I, I, these days I sometimes say to, say to people at work, come on, it's not the Krypton Factor, and people just look at me. People just look at me. I'm too old. Dave's <laughs> the old guy in the
1: office in the corner <laughs> rocking away.
0: Oh, I did say to someone when we were getting a bit of a sprint on through London the other day, we were trying to get go fast enough to catch the tube as we were walking, uh, and I did accidentally blurt out, come on, Tessa Sanderson, we're going to miss the train. <laughs> 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 pretty old. yeah my references are getting more and more out of date i don't think she i don't think Tessa Sanderson even ran did she what
1: was her i don't know yeah Hang tessa oh. remember she- the name not the achievement <laughs> Have javelin. To
0: note. It was jav. She was a javelin thrower. That's right. So that you have to run. Nothing to do with catching. Yeah, you have to run a little bit. Yeah, a little and bit. Throw. <laughs> yeah. Anyway, <laughs> let's get back to the story. <laughs> Long before we were climbing into F 18s or Spitfires on our micros, there was the analog simulator. These are devices that overcame the limitations of the technology at the time in order to train professionals, not us armchair sim fans, but real professionals in the safety of a controlled environment. And um, a video of such a thing has been shared this week. Uh, It's perhaps the best analog simulation I think I've come across outside of the NASA moon landing simulators, although there were a lot of computers involved in those as well. Um, This particular video is presented by Tom Scott. A lot of you will know of Tom, a very large YouTube channel, and it's all about a 1970s army tank simulator. And I'd urge you to watch this just for the sheer joy um, that the video brings of, I guess, merging model railway landscaping skills with the technology of the period. It's a lovely thing. In this video, Tom climbs into a simulation cockpit mounted on hydraulic legs. And then elsewhere in the room, you've got a camera on an arm that makes its way through the miniature landscape and the video is transmitted back to his tank screen. So he's effectively driving the camera through a miniature landscape. And the camera's got like a ski-like foot on the bottom of it. So as the camera skis over the terrain, for example, there are uh, fallen logs on the road. As it goes over the logs, the, the, the hydraulics mimic that movement in the simulation cab. So he's getting rocked around. And it all comes together to create exactly what it's designed to do, a simulated tank driving experience without the need for a single texture-mapped polygon on the screen. The device is managed by an operator with a bank of switches and blinking lights, as you'd expect to see in the in the 1970s. But also mentioned in the video is that some of the hardware has actually been replaced with a Raspberry Pi, just to get it back up and running. Now, I absolutely love the look of this thing. Um, it does nothing to quash my lifelong ambition to own my own enclosed simulator at some point. I know VR largely makes that redundant, but come on chris i know you'll be on my side even with a vr setup it'd be great to still climb into a cockpit and put that vr helmet on and have your flight stick to your left or your throttle to the right or the other way around um don't tell me your virtual tank <laughs> yeah i mean if you know you've got a cardboard box somewhere in your house that you've got tank written on the side of and <laughs> you climb into and put your vr on who told you about that yeah <laughs> <laughs> But, um, Dave, when we come to you, Dave, we're a long way from RPGs and text adventures. Um, so um, I'm interested to get your thoughts on this and also your thoughts on sims in general um, and any sims that, you're, um, that you've invested a good amount of time into. I mean, start with the video and then tell us about your, your sure. sim experience.
2: So the simulator is amazing. Um, I'd love a shot on it. Uh, anyone would love a shot on it. It's not just the visuals that it does. But it's the whole experience. When You see Tom going into it. It's a cramped enclosure. And he's banging his head. He's got the microphone round his neck. Um, the whole the whole thing is amazing. It, it's they they've, they've, they've the sky's a limit. Obviously, it's a military budget that's been spent on this. A Cold War military budget. The sky's a limit. Um, it's incredible. Um, probably not too affordable. Um, but it's incredible what they made, what they managed to make so when i heard 70s tank simulator i was thinking the old atari tank arcade machine i wasn't expecting this at all i mean this is um, what they've achieved do you mean battle zone cuz tank mm. was a top down game and then battle zone yes. was the vector
0: yeah yeah okay yeah
2: i was expecting something as basic as tank uh, never mind battle zone oh, okay um <laughs> as for some simulator games that i've that i've played Well, let me list them off, my my credentials. Advanced Pinball Simulator. Oh, no. Arcade Flight Simulator. (laughs) ATV Simulator. BMX Simulator, BMX Simulator 2, Championship Jet Ski Simulator, Fruit Machine Simulator, Fruit Machine Simulator 2, Grand Prix Simulator, International Rugby Simulator, Jet Bike Simulator, Motocross Simulator, Mountain Bike Simulator, Power Boat Simulator, Pro Golf Simulator, Pro Skateboard Simulator, Pro Tennis Simulator, Professional BMX Simulator, Professional Ski Simulator, SAS Combat Simulator, Super Tank Simulator, Turbo Chopper Simulator, and of course, Neil's favourite Ninja Scooter Simulator. <laughs> For people who are who are not aware, those are all Codemasters games on the Amstrad CPC. They had this habit of putting professional and advanced and simulator onto absolutely anything, and they were in no way simulating anything. I do like a bit of a sim though. I do like a bit of a sim, but it, it 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 can't be too dry. So it can't just be a simulator about flying a plane or driving a tank. There has to be some kind of combat or strategy goal involved. I played loads of Carrier Command uh, and. It's quite simulatory, but it's not. It's not a, a hard simulation of what the different vehicles in it do. Um, midwinter again, and obviously some flight simulators. We talked a few weeks ago about the flight simulators that I can't remember uh, which ones it was. I know the F twenty nine Retaliator is one of them. I like. I like a, a, a combat simulator, a light simulator. Not not too light though, but I like. I like, um, I, I like the, the kind of milder ones.
0: Yeah, there's a balance to be had, isn't there? Because we're still loading up these simulators to enjoy ourselves, to have fun. Um, so the point of entry has to be enjoyable to get you through the tutorial before perhaps you, um, you, you're you let loose on your own a little bit later into the game. And that's why I've always enjoyed games like TFX, which is a very arcadey flight sim experience. And when it comes to um, more modern and complex simulators like DCS World, it is a tough nut to crack to get into, and really, even if you've got all the difficulty set down, you then feel like you're not getting the most out of the game. You feel like, well, I should be learning, I should be, I should know how to fly a, you know, a MiG 29 um, and what all the switches do if I'm going to get the most out of the investment I've made in this game. It can be quite frustrating. So, there is always a balance to be found. Um, just as an interesting aside, we mentioned battle zone. Uh, there was something called the Bradley trainer in 1980. Um, Atari were approached to make a battle zone version of the, for for the military. So, um, I think they pulled out. I think, um, Atari didn't want to be involved with the U S army or something like that happened, but it got to the prototype stage. Some prototypes exist in the world. So, um, that was the next step I guess from this one that we see in Tom Scott's video to a wireframe vector tank simulator. and if you compare the two, I would probably go for the train set style you know made one it, it looks more realistic. Well, <laughs> yeah. This is
2: what I was talking about that when I, when, I, when I was imagining what it would be this this is miles ahead of what I would have thought was possible. Mm. If you're doing this in a computer, you couldn't do this in a computer until maybe I don't know, 19, late 80s.
0: Yeah, Yeah. I mean, I guess the wireframe could let you get familiar with heads-up display and the the computer side of the tank. But yeah, it looks, um, in my comfortable armchair looking at a screen on YouTube, it looks more realistic uh, going across the train set style 1970s tank simulator Mm. for sure. Now, Chris, I know you love your flight sims, but are you purely a pilot or have you seen this video and are you a tanker too?
1: I am a bit of a tanker from time to time. Yeah, um, I absolutely loved the video first and foremost. It was such a cool video. How does he get so much information in every video in like five minutes? I, I don't know. There's something. There's something to be learned that every single episode he does is, is the same. So much information covers massive topics in five minutes. Well, if, but anyway, if you watch his video, as soon as yeah. you press play, he's walking and he's talking
0: and he's, yeah. he's asking a question. You know, uh, have have you ever thought about how you? would simulate a tank in the 1970s or whatever it's just bang he's straight into it yeah
1: yeah very yeah it's he, good good lots, lesson to learn <laughs> yeah lots to learn from him but yeah the simulator itself such a cool concept uh, as you guys have already discussed and the idea of using a tactile model and camera in in, in those ways it, I think it, it makes it better than, as we've just discussed, you know, using the graphics that would have been available at the time. I mean, even when you go into the 80s, you would have been using flat shade, polygon or sprite scaling, you know, one or the other. Probably not. Well, maybe on a military budget, you had, had, had access to more power than we would have seen in the homes. But yes, it's still a push until quite a bit later to get that kind of realism. Um, and that's it. it. It looks like they're actually driving over the terrain. It links in well, actually, I feel, with the – I've been watching and enjoying the – watching the arcade museum, the cave taking shape that um, Alex is building, um, and the electro-mechanical games uh, and that sort of period in arcade history. In some ways, this is like a a massively scaled-up version of of those kind of concepts, which is quite cool to see. In terms of my own tank simulator memories – Few and far between, I've got to be honest. So my friend, one of my gaming friends from back in the day, Steve, I remember him having Team Yankee. I remember playing that and ducking in and out of the forests and letting your your smoke screen off behind your tank to try and get away from the enemy tanks. That's about as much as I remember of that. Um, I do definitely remember Battlezone in the arcades. Battlezone, funnily enough, is a game that for ages I mistakenly would reference as being one of the first examples of VR, but even though you look through the the periscope, shall we call it? It wasn't actually stereoscopic. It wasn't 3D. There was no depth to it. Um, so, it's still a cool game, very immersive in, a, in the in way summary, it did that.
2: No depth. What's the point?
1: <sighs> no, it's it's a, a it tank. was a tank. It's a tank. <laughs> yeah, but you oh, look okay. through. You look through in the arcade. You stand up to the thing and you control it. Yeah. So yeah. it kind of so just looking like a back, For a yeah, periscope, yeah. we need
2: depth. De- dive, yeah. dive, yeah. dive.
1: Uh, well, no, you have a periscope in a tank as well. It's still the same setup of 45-degree um, mirrors to see up the top of, of out of the tank. It's yep. um, well, not
2: just one that moves it. Up okay.
1: You could just open the window. Anyway, but Battlezone is a game I still enjoy playing today, so I don't know if you guys have played it, but you, there's a version of Battlezone on the PS4, uh, which is more modern hover tanky um, and more modern graphics, but it works with PSVR fantastically and you can access the original, well, the original style of Battlezone, the wireframe. And I bought that game purely to play the wireframe version. And so playing that in actual VR is actually quite trippy. It's really good fun. Uh, Does the volcano
0: erupt when you're playing it in the wireframe version?
1: I believe it does. Do you know what? I haven't really... It's one of those games we've talked about this before and even in the intro to uh, to, to today's episode, High Score Challenges. Battlezone is one of the view where i've actually kept a look at the online high score table and thought oh well oh, i reckon i could get near the top of that yeah. <laughs> even though i'm probably seven seven thousandth in the world or something yeah. you know but occasionally when i first started playing it's oh, i reckon i could get that get that score so i've just been sort of trying to get really good at it um but yeah the only thing wrong with tanks is they don't fly uh, but you don't say that to an a10 pilot <laughs> <laughs>
0: In terms of your own sort of tank simulation memories, I know we've both played a lot of flight sims, but -hmm. there was a a period when lots of tank games came out, weren't there? Um, I mean, whether it be, I mean, there was Conqueror, which I first saw on the Acorn Archimedes and it came to the Amiga as well. Probably the ST, Dave. Did you get Conqueror on the ST? It did, yeah, yeah, yeah. On the ST. It wasn't really a simulation, but that was kind of fun because you had forward and back for the left and the right tracks. So that was kind of fun. Yeah. M1 Tank Platoon by Microprose.
1: That's That's the other one I was trying to think of, yeah. yeah, That was good fun.
0: Uh, Pacific Islands, Team Yankee, things like that.
2: Are are tank games the predecessor to MechWarrior and so on games? Is there a link there? Well,
0: you had (laughs) MechWarrior games in tandem back then. You did have them at the same time. But there just seemed to be a trend at one point for tank games. And, you know, they still feature in plenty of games like Battlefield, not just 1942, (laughs) the whole Battlefield series, but they're just sort of a a bit part. You get in a tank and, you you know, that might be what you like to do, but the whole game isn't based around it go you know, any suggestions to, from our listeners for good modern tank games especially if you can play them in VR that would be fun i'd like to try that um anyway going back to tom scott's video it's only a 5 minute video as we said so i would encourage you to uh take a look um it's hosted at the swiss military museum which is at festungmuseum.ch all the links will be in the show notes for the museum as well as for the video itself and um, I'd love to know also if any of our listeners out there have actually had a go on a commercial simulator. Let us know what your experiences were. Um, We can't promise that we won't be a little bit envious of you if you have done that, but tell us all about it and if you've got any pictures, even better. Dave?
2: Why do Swiss URLs end with .ch? Maybe our listeners can let us know. And on that bombshell... (laughs)
1: So, regular contributor to the subreddit, Starcade 2084 has let us know about a new horror game with retro styling. Um, and, guys, it is indeed that time of year, the time of year when grown Americans dress up as serial killers or witches or ghosts or whatever, and spend the evening hanging out with children in the street, teaching them how it's fine to go to strangers' houses and talk to them and even blackmail them into giving you stuff. Um, <laughs> Halloween isn't, uh, isn't that big in Australia or, or the UK from my memories, des- despite both nations having a stab at it each year. We really don't do it the same justice as I believe America does. And, and if the TV from America and the Americans that I've met are to be believed Halloween is almost bigger than Christmas, and I believe Dave has just got. (laughs) What's happened to Dave, Neil?
0: For the listeners, I think he's improved his face. I think he's put his makeup on.
2: (laughs) I thought, I thought, if Chris wears a mask every week for every show, I can put one on once.
1: (laughs) Oh, very good. That's Very quite good. a
0: disturbing mask, Dave. What what Johnny is it? Johnny
2: is scared. Johnny, Johnny's just staring at me. He stopped chewing the microphone, he's just staring at me.
1: How do we describe oh. this to the listeners? Dave looks slightly scarier than normal.
2: Dave, what is
1: it? <laughs> what it's, is it? A mask. it's like a it's a mask. <laughs> oh, okay, it's yeah, a mask. It's, a mask. it's a mask. It's a white mask with a blood ridden mouth and whatever. Is it based oh, on the character and- or oh,
0: quite disturbing.
2: It has no, no nose. Got it. it, it, it the, the eyes look as if they have. They've been. They've been pulled out. It gouged. looks like like red sockets. Yeah, from gouged eyes.
1: Gouged. You've got to say that gouged was... at this time of year. Yeah, not pulled out. Oh, my eyes were pulled out. politely. Gouged.
2: Gouged out <laughs> with a spoon.
1: Anyway, to so go back to the Americans and how they approach Halloween, even even bigger than Dave wearing a mask is how big Halloween is in America uh, tonight, where anything goes. So if you're into horror movies, uh, I'm assuming that the, the the Halloween in the states is is exactly like the Purge, but just with more chocolate and very very slightly less guns. Anyway, that's that's what I'm assuming. To the story, why are we talking about Halloween? So, developer Airdorf Games and publisher New Blood Interactive are releasing Faith the Unholy Trinity. Uh, And from what I can see, it's an 8-bit styled modern horror adventure game uh, that's been released in three chapters. So chapter one was released in 2017, focuses on, on a priest named John Ward and the botched exorcism of Amy Martin, and it's set in 1987. So I guess that's why they've gone for the retro look and feel as well. Chapter Two came out in 2019, as far as I can tell, and chapter three, hence "The Unholy Trinity," is being released on Steam and Gog just in time for Halloween this year. It's described on Wikipedia as having a graphic style similar to an Apple II or an Atari 2600. But I've, I've had a look at some sort of the videos in the trailer, and it looks to me more like a spectrum or a C64 uh, for what I've looked at. And especially in terms of the sounds, it sounds very city. Which, by the way, I'm declaring as a new word. All right, so "city" is to CID-y, sound like it? a Sid chip.
0: We're talking about horror you games. I heard it. Talking yeah. about horror games, should it, should it, should it, should it? That be insidious? Does it sound? insidious? Oh, insidious.
1: Ooh. Yeah, Ooh. that's a good. Well, this <laughs> a good time film. Yeah, it could be insidious. <laughs> nice. Anyway, yeah, you can have a look at the trailers. Um, it kind of reminds me of a fancy version of a Tick Attack, if I'm honest, but with an active adventure element to it. Uh, but it's the cutscenes that really make it stand out. So they basically look like they're, they're kind of in 8-bit style and they look like a, a wireframe retroscope animation. They just look awesome, almost like sort of a, a neon glowing outlined full motion video sequence is the best way I can describe it. And it kind of adds to the unsettling nature of the game. So, Neil, Halloween and all that, do you do scary games?
0: I do, though looking at Dave with his mask on, I'm just wondering if we're going to have to tick the box that says this show is not for children when we upload it to oh, YouTube. No. Look at him; <laughs> he's got his glasses on his mask now, looking <laughs> very disturbing. Oh um, dear! <laughs> I've never been a person who goes out of my way to chase the horror experience. Um, I, I I don't oh, I don't need a scare to get the adrenaline pumping. Boo! <laughs> so um, yeah, I'm not a big horror film fan, but um, oddly, I don't mind a good horror game. So I've spent many a late night on the edge of my seat. Dave's Dave's face has got too hot for the mask. (laughs) He's starting to take it off. can't see. Oh, God, Dave, put it it back on. on.
1: (laughs) (laughs) We both went for the same (laughs) joke there.
0: Yeah, I've spent many a late night night on the edge of my seat uh, playing horror games or or at least games that are filled with suspense. So I'd point out that a lot of my memories, when I think about this, are very much pre-web and pre-mobile phone days because you know or at least single tasking days because when i was playing these i was very much alone with the game late at night with the lights off the wind and the rain on the windows um you know that that's how i i used to sort of enjoy it and a scary game isn't quite the same when you have a discord window open on a second monitor and animated gifs appearing and you know chatting about your day Gifs, gifs. Um, so, um, games that have given me the heebie-jeebies over the year, over the years, would include. Why are you chuckling? Are you chuckling at my heebie-jeebies,
2: Dave? It's a good Scottish phrase. Heebie... <laughs> <laughs> Can you say it, heebie-jeebies? Dave? There Heebie Jeebies. Games yeah.
0: that can be the heebie Jeebies um, over the years include Darkseed on the Amiga. So that's got the HR Geiger artwork in a flickering, headache inducing high resolution mode. We've talked about that before on the show. Aliens on my Amstrad CPC. Geiger again. That is scary. That is scary, that a- game much more pixelated form yeah the the game really captures the suspense of the film very well i think very tense music as you move around the base you've got the little heart rate monitor at the bottom of the screen and things like that um yeah i I found that quite scary um and then i find that games that are supposed to be horror games didn't really grab me as much so things like the seventh guest that's supposed to be a horror game but it just feels like a tech demo for my cd-rom um And I think that's true of any horror. If you try and force it, then it just becomes a bit silly. You know, it becomes Dave putting his mask on. (laughs) It becomes a bit silly. Um, It's the suspense of it all that I find a lot scarier than the graphic side of horror. Um, I felt that again with yet another Geiger alien game recently. I played Alien Trilogy on the Sega Saturn after we fixed that up. And um, I had it set up on the big TV in the cave. And I just found myself for about... Three or four nights in a row, staying late after work with the lights down low in the cave and the volume up, just playing that. And it's not a particularly great game. It really isn't. But there's just there's a nice balance between the aliens lurking around the corners and the limited amount of ammo that you've got to deal with them. And it just kind of got me hooked. Dave?
2: There's a more recent alien game that scares the absolute crap out of me, and I've not played it. I've seen other people. Is it called Alien Isolation? Is that it? Oh, yes. Yeah. Yeah. That that one, thats one I will not play because it looks too scary. Try that one in the cave, Neil. Mm-hmm. See if you can see if you can cause yourself to um, uh, cause yourself terror with that.
0: Well, I don't think I have a PS4 in the cave. I can go as new as PS3, I'm afraid.
2: Oh, <laughs> so maybe it's a PC game
0: as well. Alien versus Predator—that came out in the late '90s, early 2000s, didn't it? There's loads of Alien games, but P- yeah, yeah, Alien, what is it? Alien vs Predator on the Jaguar as well, was it called? Yeah, yeah. AVP on the Jaguar, yeah. 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 In fact, that was uh, the
1: first AVP game. Oh, no, there was a sideways scrolling beat-em-up called Alien vs Predator as well before that. Mm. Anyway.
0: Yeah, so, um, yeah, not not necessarily the horror games, Um, more the suspense that gets me. Um, mm. Yeah, mm. Chris.
1: Yeah, that sounds good. Um, I'm glad you mentioned Alien, actually. You know, it's interesting because Alien is sci-fi, but it is so horror and one of the best games in the alien franchise in my opinion but also one of the best survival horror games is exactly what you just mentioned dave and i've got a copy of it here um is alien isolation which i played on the ps4 it's a it's 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 not retro i'm sorry but it's it's in the in the topic of scary games i have to mention it because it is literally the best in like i say the best alien game cuz it just it's not you running around with a machine gun and a pocket full of grenades taking the aliens out with with ease. Literally, you are so underpowered and so underwhelming and just one alien is the scariest thing. And you spend the whole game trying to complete tasks while, while avoiding death through the alien. It's fantastically done. Um, really, 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 really well done. Um, but yeah, my favorite, my favorite um, franchise. When talking about scary games, and this just slides into retro, back into retro. I hope because it is PS3, Xbox 360 era. Is the Fear franchise? Fear One, and especially Fear Two. Fear Three was so so. I did quickly, I might have been a bit distracted at the start of the recording, guys, um, this week, because I was, in fact, Googling to make sure that Chernobyl is not the setting for Fear 1 or Fear 2. And no, from what I can see, it uh, when you look on the wiki page and, go, and, and then search page uh, containing word Chernobyl, it doesn't even come up, Dave. Wow.
0: I
2: think it's Stalker I was talking about.
0: Ah, Stalker. In my defense, it's not retro. Ah, okay. <laughs> no.
2: Stalker. But the, the point I want to make, and maybe the headline for this show today should be, Chris declares PS3 is retro. Ah, oh, insane. There's it's, it's... a controversial topic. That's a whole I think other... If you, yeah. If if you think it's retro, it's retro. There you go. That's my take. And if you think it's retro, it's retro. But I can't tell you what, what's retro to anyone else. So, but, sorry, tangent off. Shouldn't have said it. Say yeah.
0: Well, I sure. said I have a... I said I, had a, I have a PS3, but I didn't say it, it's retro. Did Chris say it's retro? Did you say No, yes? I
2: didn't say
1: it was retro. I'm just trying to use uh, it as did. an excuse to mention these games in the conversation you did. of this story. You did. You did. <laughs> <laughs> Where this is more about scary <laughs> games. and uh, Anyway, uh, But uh, on, on that topic, though, I do think the, the Xbox comments. 360. The, no, bring the comments on. The Xbox 360 and the PS3, I think, are the last two collectible systems because after that you get so stuck into dlc and, and the reliance on online services for games to even install in the first place that they they're not collectible. Um I yes. would say that the the switch stands out as being
0: a good one that still has good physical games. Yeah, that's I have true. One, okay. But yeah. I, that, yeah. That would do that would serve you well in in future as a future retro console.
1: Yeah. No, that's that's a fair comment. Right, let's get back, back onto the story. Um okay, this is retro. Okay, Doom 3. On the Xbox, the original Xbox, but also, also it was obviously available on PC as well. At the time, my PC wasn't uh, powerful enough to play it, so I preferred to play it on the original Xbox. And I have great memories of me and a mate. So he brought around his Xbox. We linked the two up um, and played co-op. And this was the what I would call the proper version of Doom Three, the version that where they didn't change it because the players were too weak and too afraid of the dark to be running around in the dark. So the game was changed, and I'm sure you know this, Dave, because originally you could only have your flashlight or torch for the rest of us up or a gun, not both. And people complained about that because it made it too hard. It didn't make it too hard. It just made it too scary for some of you guys. So um, it was the original version. And so what we were doing to to get around this completely pitch black level when I was going, okay, this is great. You hold up your torch, and then I can shoot at the, the creatures coming out and then when I need to reload, you can swap over. That that lasted for about thirty seconds before all hell broke loose because you know he was um, facing the wrong way, I was facing the wrong way. We were both out of anima at the same time, cut, uh, thrown into complete pitch black as both both of us went for our weapons. And yeah, it was it was hilarious. And my wife came in because she could literally hear us screaming from the other room. We were that freaked out by it, Dave.
2: I find quake scary. So if I find quake scary then maybe I shouldn't be playing Doom 3 that way. Yeah, have you not played Doom 3? Um I almost certainly have booted it up but not not no I've not played it any, any length of time. was it
0: um was it the Radeon 9800 pro was that the flagship at the time when doom 3 came out that was the card everyone was raving about you needed that to really push the pixels um and i didn't have that but i did still get a lot of enjoyment out of doom 3 i find with all of the id software games they are so well optimized to work on such a wide range of cards that you Mm. can find some fun from it and um yeah i loved doom 3 is it retro Probably is now, isn't it? I think it, yeah, yeah, yeah. it's sliding yeah. towards
1: it, yeah, yeah. yeah. But I do, I do, um, you know, going back to the point of scary games, I prefer that kind of game. So, like the fear franchise, Doom 3, whatever, you're playing a first person shooter that happens to be scary, hopefully. It's not the same as some of these games, which I do, I, I do still enjoy them, but not on the same level, like Blair Witch and Paranormal Activity, where basically it's a puzzle game. With some jump scares. Do you know what I mean? That's just mm. tagged itself along to a franchise. So they work for a bit, but they're, they're really not it's the too same. on the nose. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, it is. So, but what I would consider horror, you know, talking about this whole scary game thing, is when a game makes you feel uncomfortable. And Doom 3 was one of them. Literally, I got to a point where I put the game down for a bit because I didn't want to progress the next thing. because – I could hear what was coming down the corridor and it was like, no, I need to take a break from this um, and just stop playing because it was, yeah, it was really uncomfortable to play. What about yourself, Dave? I mean, um, I don't know why, but the horror genre to me and the role-playing scene seem quite closely linked. Would you agree?
2: Yeah, there's certainly horror aspects in RPG and there's lots of it. And often they tend not to go down the... The kind of typical Halloween and horror themes, uh, the jump scares and so on, they go they go more with the, the horrible creatures from um, what I think is best represented by Cthulhu, um, which is why I've worn today's Halloween t-shirt, um, my Cthulhu t-shirt. H.P. <laughs> Lovecraft, who was a, a horrible human being, um, but a great writer created a mythos or, or maybe he didn't create it maybe he just tapped into a real primal thing that's in all of us when he created his cthulhu mythos it feels it feels really credible to me that there's ancient and horrific beings beyond our understanding lurking in the depths of the ocean or deep in space and we have a a thin tissue of sanity that separates us and since it's halloween i hope you'll indulge me with my favorite lovecraft quote just to set the tone. The most merciful thing in the world is the inability of the human mind to correlate all its contents. We live on a placid island of ignorance in the midst of black seas of infinity and it was not meant that we should voyage far. So for me, that kind of horror is much more realistic and scary than anything anything else. So the, the jump scares and so on, the the blair witch stuff the blair witch was a great film once but after that i've seen it done um so if i one day was to find out that lovecraft was not making it up and it was all real then i i think it's quite believable uh, and as far as RP- rpgs the the big one that comes from lovecraft is elithids is and mind flayers and d they're they're straight from it and I, I, I still remember an article from dragon magazine in 1989 uh, called the sunset world which was about them um, I much prefer things like Eldritch horrors rather than nonsense like Freddy Krueger and Jason, etc. Uh, and as for games, uh, well, XCOM and Terror from the Deep—they've got a lot of horror elements in there. Um, wondering what's going to happen next, whether you you move your 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 man forward, and whether he's going to be shot in the back. Um, also, there's there's text adventures things like Lurking Horror, um, which I'm holding up the the map too, and the note that came in the in the box here from Infocom. It's a great game. Um, but I've got a few games to play that I haven't played that are uh, Lovecraft Horror 2. There's uh, an, an ST1 Hounds of Shadow, which is a, a text adventure with graphics I'm holding up. It's uh, Electronic Arts. Neil? Friday the 13th on your Ramstrad CPC. <laughs> or not. Or not. <laughs> um, and there's a couple of infogrames ones. There's uh, Shadow of the Comet, Um here and there's also um prisoner of ice now all three of those are, are specific cthulhu games lots of games have cthulhu elements in them but these are these are specifically mentioned and a, a, a modern game um Call of Cthulhu, Dark Corners of the Earth. Um, I think it was recommended to you by Aaron from ARG. I bought it. I haven't got around to. I say modern, but it's 2006. So for me, 2006 is definitely modern. It's not retro. Um, so loads of games that way to play, loads of loads of horror themes that way. And one I should have remembered is, uh, Neil brought up his aliens in the Amstrad CPC. For an 8-bit game where it's live action, it, it really does capture the the, 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 sc- the scariness of of it and the, the suspense and the, the feeling of the film and so on, which is a, a real hard thing to do in an 8-bit system.
1: Another game really that could be classed as horror is basically anything by Codemasters with the word simulator on the box. Anyway. <laughs> 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 True. But, yeah, this story really isn't just about scary games, but actually about the explosion of what I would call retro-styled modern releases so my, my twin boys, they're 22 uh, at the moment uh, and they thoroughly awesome. enjoy a good, yeah, both of them, it's funny that, um, they thoroughly enjoy a good round of Crawl, uh, now that is a really fun game that I've played as well, it's available on Steam and GOG and many other platforms and it's by Powerhoof, it's a top-down dungeon crawler in a pseudo 8-bit style, especially in terms of the sound as well. Uh, with. Literally begins with all players waking up by a campfire and swiftly killing each other. the so first thing you have to do is try and buy the, be the survivor amongst your mates to determine who is a survivor and who will continue on as ghosts. And then the ghosts then have to, because it's a multiplayer game, they then have to impede the quest of the hero. And if the hero does die, he becomes a ghost and basically swaps positions with whichever player killed him. Fantastic game. And all, you know, to me, it would be a fairly average game if it wasn't for the fact that they chose to do it in this retro style, including the graphics and sound. Dave?
2: A few weeks ago, we asked for a, a theme for a Pac Man movie, and I think you've just sold it. Cruel Yeah, yeah it would Make a real yeah.
1: Oh Oh okay How does that Oh cause the ghosts Hang on They've just re-released Pac-Man No Anyway <laughs> How did I not see this the penny before is <laughs> They've just done a multiplayer version of Pac-Man And called it Cruel <laughs> It's a really good game Do check it out if you're into that kind of stuff but Anyway So here's to both scary games But also I think to modern retro games Long may it continue
2: Lost something Search through ninety-one point seven million files from the eighties, nineties, and double O's. Submitted to the subreddit by Juicy Cow. Um, I don't know if that's juicy cow as in milk or as in um, burgers. Neil, do you have a penny in the cow?
0: <laughs> well, I was just chuckling to myself because you called it the double O's, and I just know that's because
2: you probably hate the term the naughties. Hate the noughties. Don't want to see the noughties. (laughs) Ban it. The double O's. What's wrong with the double O's? (laughs) Apart from thinking James Bond. Carry on. One of the most important and interesting people, in my never humble opinion is Jason Scott, who's also known as Text Files. Uh, In 2010, he released a labor of love documentary called Get Lamp, which passed me by at the time, inexplicably, Uh, I don't know why it passed me by, but I watched it earlier this year, and I can't recommend it enough, as it covers the history of text adventures, and in particular, Infocom. And when I watched it, Neil, I heavily recommended Get Lamp to you, and you said you'd watch it, did you?
0: You did recommend it to me, I did not watch it. Do
2: you know why? I love Lamp. Oh, Chris has got Lamp. Well done, Chris. Well done, Chris. Chris. For Chris, that's as much as he's going to get from the documentary. I love Um, Lamp. There's a good reason why you've not watched it, Neil. The documentary is a DVD format with menus and so on. And it's not ideal for watching in a PC or streaming. So I promised that I'd put it all together for you to make it easier. And then I forgot and I didn't do it. And I will do it. Good. Um, Get Lamp, uh, it comes
0: from Colossal Cave, doesn't it? The first yes. text adventure. Yep. So I'm just going to, just a, a very quick recap of that part of the game I've got popped up on the screen here, um, which was originally developed by Will Crowther, who was the developer of Colossal Cave. Um, so the, the game would start, you are standing at the end of a road before a small brick building. Around you is a forest. A small stream flows out of the, out of the building and down a gully. So you would type enter you're inside a building a well house for a large spring there are some keys on the ground here there is a shiny brass lamp nearby there is food here there is a bottle of water here and at that point you would type get lamp that's where it where it all began as a text adventures. it's
2: it, it yeah it, it it's so iconic those the, the those words in that description and uh, people that aren't aware it ended up People ended up writing their own version of Colossal Cave, which turned out to be Zork, uh, among other things. There was loads of different versions of it. Um, it's a weird thing that b- happened before you had much copyright and so on. But anyway, um, I will put it all together for you, and I'll I'll uh, I will let you watch it that way. But it's not all he's known for. He's an internet historian, maybe even the internet historian. He works at the Internet Archive and he's operated a website called Text Files since nineteen ninety-eight. Text Files is an incredibly important historical archive of BBS and related documents. So that's text stuff predating modern internet use. Chris, what does BBS stand for?
1: Bulletin board service.
2: Well done. Um but it also has things like NFO files, ASCII art, audio interviews with BBS owners, and other related stuff. So this is the old internet, the internet I remember when I first got online. And I wanted to try and get a Narnia quote in here. I couldn't quite get it in, so I'll just say it, which is, do not cite the deep magic to me, which I was there when it was written, especially as which is Halloweeny, Chris? Big, bold Scotsman. Is that a quote from... <laughs>
1: From B- BBS. I've changed my
0: Oh, oh. <laughs>
2: Well done. There we go. Um, but this period of the internet, at least to me, feels like the old magic. It feels like the the before times. Um now I'm gonna say something that might sound a bit off. I often feel that the internet is smaller now than it ever was before and I know it's not smaller, it's not, but there's far, far more on the internet than ever was, but mostly we tend to flip between a few websites, our webmail, Twitter, Reddit, eBay, Amazon, YouTube. The internet has consolidated, and unfortunately, these sites are concerned with serving as content now, rather than serving as a permanent record. Even when we Google, we don't often end up too far from the beaten track. So of course, the internet is not smaller than it was. But back in the turn of the century, in the double O's years, not the noughties, the double O's, there were a lot more websites around. They just had less on them. It was more spread out. But more importantly, it was more individual. Now, that all faded away. And we didn't notice it happening until we had to find an old driver, or we followed links to what ended up being a 404. The website's gone, a dead link or we wanted to find a fan site from a game to find information about it. And we found the fan site was long gone. And something makes me very, very sad when I see that, all that love and attention to something just abandoned and gone. Neil, have you come across that?
0: Yeah, um, I was just looking up some stats out of interest. There are now 1.14 billion websites in the world. Uh, 17% of these websites are active. 83% are inactive. Um, according to this site, I don't know how they class it as an inactive website. 10,500 new websites are created every hour. Um, three websites a second. But yeah, um, so, you know, th- there are more websites out there than ever. However, we are accessing, oh, I wouldn't say fewer <laughs> We are, as a percentage, we were accessing fewer than we ever have done. Mm. Um, bring back web, web rings, Dave. Bring back web rings. Do you remember you would go to your favorite emulation site at the bottom? Yeah. We are part yeah. of the, you know, Big yeah. Bold Scotsman web ring. Click yeah, here yeah. for the next site in the Big Bold Scotsman sites. Or you could press random and you get a random website and you would, just, you would just go on a little voyage of discovery along the chain. It, it was really nice. Um, or a lucky dip. And... Um, like you, yes, I visit very few websites now. Twitter, some news sites, Reddit, YouTube. I check my email. Um, it absolutely, it, it all feels like a less personal experience and more like a trip down the high street, you know? It all feels a little mm-hmm. bit corporate. You're being presented yeah. with what they've dressed in the windows yeah. on the high street, and that's what, you've, yeah. what you get to look at. No doubt, if you scratch a little bit deeper, you know, there are things like the dark web that you can go on, but then, it yeah, it's 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 not it's not as innocent as it used to be when you go exploring
2: no. the internet. Yeah. yeah. Um, modern websites now are, are fairly transient in that they're generated uniquely for you when you go there. That that page isn't that page. That page is, is made up on the spot and tossed away afterwards. Whereas these old web pages were made up, everyone saw the same page. Um, there are options, of course. The internet archive is amazing. But of course, it's not a perfect experience and it doesn't have everything. Vogons is a great place for drivers. Vogons is a is a forum for primarily old DOS stuff. Uh, fantastic place to go. Super knowledgeable. Best place to go for knowledge on, on DOS uh, and IBM PC stuff. Um, it's a great place to go for diet drivers. There's an archive there. And so is Phil's Computer Lab website, um, which incidentally does feel like a proper old website that I approve of. Now, listener James RC has submitted an Ars Technica article to our website. So our website? We don't have a website. We don't There's have website. Here's a good a example. Website. We don't have a website. <laughs> we're, we're on a subreddit. Um, <laughs> on the eighteenth of October, Jason Scott announced a new website called. Diskmaster, which contains 91.7 million files from CDs and floppy disks. Now, these files actually come from the Internet Archive, and that's where a lot of us scratch about looking for old install disks for old hardware, but it's not ideal for searching on. Now, the new uh, site is... Dismasker and it allows for searching for various different options, lots of different options, which makes it easier to find files. And I hope Duncan will put up a little example on the screen, but you can filter down to file names, the type of file it is, um, various different things. So I I found, uh, I typed Amiga into the search box and selected the file type mod and found that it had loads of them but not only that when you clicked in one it converted it to an mp3 and you could play it in your browser magic um but there's loads in there there's loads and loads in there and on the the dismasker twitter announcement thread according to us um people are already using the service to rediscover programs that they lost during the 1990s rare bbs files zzt worlds bitmap fonts, shareware that they wrote 20-plus years ago, and vintage music software and so on. So lots of stuff that's been forgotten and lost, you might be able to find again. If you put it on a BBS or you put it on the internet, there's a chance that it might be on this. Um, Chris, have you ever spent time trying to find old stuff on the internet?
1: I have indeed, and it was it was mainly when I was trying to set up the IBM Aptiva that I, I bought off a mate very cheap. Um looking for windows 98 drivers you know let's face it there there are great things about you know this hobby for the nostalgia draw but there are things i think we'd rather forget and one of them is how hard it was in the days of windows 95 and 98 to actually set up a machine with the correct drivers of course when you bought it brand new they came with it or if you bought a new you know addition to your pc it would come with a driver disc but now if you Happened to buy an old used PC from that era. It can be a real nightmare. First place I went was archive.org, looking for you know the the install disc, and they had plenty for IBM Aptivas, but not my specific model. So the only way I actually ended up getting the thing working was I put a thing out on one of the Facebook groups, one of the um, uh, vintage computer sites, and this guy, I think he was in America. This is about years ago now. Um, I think it was in America, and he was just bored that evening, I think it was his time. and no, it would have been daytime his time. It was evening my time. And he just made it his own personal um uh, mission to go and find all the drivers I needed to get the app Tifa working. It was fantastic. <laughs> so he actually did all the work for me. I can't remember his name, but thank you if you're listening. Thank you for getting my machine working. This is exactly what he did. He just said, look, open the open the machine up. Try and identify the sound chip and the graphics chip and give me the, what they are, what it says next to them and I'll go looking for the drivers for those and that's, that's how we got it working. It works flawlessly now, which was which is great. I was just going to say, it becomes a hunt,
0: doesn't it, for the device mm. ID, the the manufacturer ID, trying to hunt it down. And if you can find the uh, an ISO of the original disk that came with that retro computer, then ideal. But even mm. then, it can be a real pain. When I've been trying to set up old Packard bells, for instance, you hunt and you hunt, and then you find the ISO for the exact disk. And you're like, brilliant, I've got the disk. You put it in you boot the computer from it because the Packard Bell ones um, put a whole image on the hard drive and prepare it. But then it says, what's the what's the engineer's password then? We're not going to oh. do this unless you know what the password is. <laughs> and you're like, oh. Nightmare. Yeah, oh, it is a nightmare. So, um, yeah. yeah, anything that can help with the hunt for drivers is is very important.
1: Oh, definitely. Um, and I think all this, you know, Internet Archive, keeping our websites running and that kind of thing, and this, you know, more specifically for files uh, uh, and programs – You know, the more of this, the better. Um, There is an interesting side to it, though. So I was was taking a bit of a look on archive.org for Amiga Format magazines recently because they were all up there. And I've discovered that they've recently been pulled down. Not all of them, but most of them. Most of them. There's a very limited selection up there now. Now, I don't know why. I can only assume, you know, maybe it's um, uh, to do with a copyright claim, but that's just me making a massive assumption.
2: I have a hope and a suspicion that, um, the owners of Amiga format future publishing, Mm. I hope that they're deciding to do something with the old magazines. I hope they want to, um, Bring them up to the best quality they can with what's there. Make sure they're all properly OCR'd and that they're in a nice mm. format and then sell them for not, for, I'm sure they wouldn't sell them for a lot of money, but sell them on to us so that you can actually properly, legally have them in a nice way that's, that's properly curated. I am... I, I, um, I have mentioned that I'd like that to uh, to was Warren Brown, who's um, one of the, I think he's one of the directors in the future now. Um, I'd like that to happen. I, I I know that maybe a bit divisive to say, I, I don't, I I, I I like the idea of, of things being taken down. I don't like things being taken off archive.org, but if it's for this reason, if that's what we're going to get, if it's commercially available, then I I think that's fine. So hopefully that's what we're going to see because these, these, these old magazines are, they're the, a the time capsule. You can read the old magazine. You can't, you can't go back in Wikipedia and so on and find out the way you can on old magazines. Neil knows that because he's done it in some of his videos.
0: I would skip with glee down the high street if somebody said, Amiga Format Issue 1 is on sale and they're gonna start selling them yeah. again. Oh. I, mean, I, don't think,
2: I don't think it'll be physical, but I think it'll be PDFs or, well, or through magazine reader or something.
0: There certainly yeah. probably wouldn't be a cover disc on the front of it, but you know, <laughs> I, I would absolutely love that. I'm, I had a really lovely day on Saturday when um, I took delivery of a whole bunch of ST format magazines. It's and metal. you know, I've got my library area And um, just filling in the gaps in my SD format collection. Oh, it was so great just to fill it out. (laughs) And I'm down to about seven for the complete set of SD format. Wow. And it's so wonderful when you look at them on the shelf and they go sort of new magazine, they get fatter and fatter. The Christmas specials come along and they're huge. And then they go down and down and then they get so skinny, they can't even fit the name of the magazine on the spine of it. And then and then you get to the very last issue, which is just like a pamphlet. And it's, um, I mean, it's not, that's not exclusive to SD format. They all do it. It's just some have a longer lifespan than others, but you just watch the life of them just in a, in a glance on the bookshelf there. It's lovely.
2: Nice. we we'll are good off. We're going off on a tangent, but I have a, I bought last year a 24 inch. Chrome base all-in-one thing, so it's just it's just like a monitor with a with a, a, a very light PC built in the back. And I've got it it's a touchscreen, 24 inches. I've got it for reading magazines, so I get two pages on, and it's got swipe controls. It's as good as I'll, I'll get now for reading old magazines, rather than having all the paper ones. But uh, magazines are great. We've gone off on a big tangent here. I'm sure we'll come back to magazines at some point. And if, <laughs> if future publishing are, are, are watching and you want to do this, people I re- I'm I'm think we'll buy this, we we'll buy the proper PDFs you come out. So that's what happens there. But I hope they don't just take them off and then nothing comes out because they, they, the people people need a way to get these. Yeah. Um, sorry, Chris, we've we've taken you miles off what you were saying.
1: No, it's all good, and yeah, you, and you've you've hit on exactly where I would have taken that anyway. You know, at the end of the day, they own the IP, so it's within their right. I just hope they do something with them, and hope is the right word. But yeah, I really like what you said at the beginning of this piece, Dave, about the the internet feeling smaller i mean the internet was more of an adventure and i think you touched on this as well neil uh, there was no real homepage. i mean you literally chose your own homepage if you knew how other than that you just stuck with the one the isp gave you and you know you use their install disk to get yourself up and running you know or maybe you'd make it out of vista or yahoo something like that but we looked for stuff and you've mentioned web rings as well whereas now you know Facebook is has become a web within the web, as I would call it. It's it's horrible. It's it's insidious, and you just get stuck within this one sort of ecosystem. If it's not Facebook, then you know you're within the Google ecosystem, and you know as we've, as we've already mentioned, rather than allow you to explore, it kind of serves you up what it thinks you want to find. Um, and and that in fact makes the web feel smaller than it did back in the '90s. And regardless, it seems of how much you tweak your search, you still find yourself back at the very few sites that they feel like serving up on that particular topic. So yeah, that's my take on it.
0: I did have a look at this website, and um, just to remind our listeners, it's called DiscMaster, isn't it, Dave? What's the yes. what's the actual URL? Disc DiscMaster, disc with a C diskmaster.textfiles.com so I had a little look on here do you know what I found on here Dave And actually it's it's very much a front for archive.org isn't it, that's how it works it's a very simple interface is it? Is it anything yeah. more complex than that or is it just a different
2: way it, it's, it's, it's a simple interface for complex stuff there's a lot going on there. It's not just it's not just a search box for archive.org. I think that'll be doing it a disservice. It does a lot there, but yes, it, it, it's 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 archive.org that, that that's it's all come from. I think.
0: I think that's important because archive.org has so much information on there. You have to approach it in different ways. It's you know, it's like the difference of going to a library and just walking down the aisles to see what books you stumble across and go to the librarian and, and ask him to find something specific in the index you know there there are many ways of attacking a huge amount of information and this is a really nice way of doing it but do you know what i found dave um i went old school i searched for what is love and i found 19 me. different results pro tracker midi versions sid chip versions of this song um and like um i think chris mentioned you can just press play and it would just convert that to uh whatever just to play there and then you don't need to download it you don't need to use any other converters so i was listening to the midi version of what is love the sid chip version of what is love pro tracker version um just came straight up but for a serious application for this if i was a musician that made a mod file back in the day and uploaded it to a bbs or something like that this might be my last ever hope of ever finding those tracks again likewise there's a ton of um amos source code that people shared back in the day Um, i did have a look for an old blitz basic game i wrote back in the day and put on a forum but unfortunately that didn't turn up Um, but you know for a moment i thought wow this is the 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 last best chance i might ever have of finding that um or even if you're just looking for text files just look for your your old usernames that you used to use on forums and see what text files turn up there's so much on here to explore it's a lot of fun um, and just just for a split second, for a moment on this website, I did get a small feeling of the sense of wonder of exploring the internet in the early days, um, nice. just using a lovely simple interface, and not quite knowing what might turn up next. It was quite it was a, it was a nice thing to do on the website.
2: Just for a, a little bit of context, talking about music, um, back in BBS and early internet days, an MP3 file would be difficult to get hold of and big and so on. So that's why we had MIDI files, we had mod files, we had SID chip files and so on. Those were tiny little files that that could play a whole song, not quite to the same fidelity as an MP3 could, sometimes far short of it. But that that was why these, these things existed in two or three kilobytes rather than megabytes for an MP3.
0: Yeah, and we also uh, had to get to the point where we had the actual processing power too decode and play an, M, you know, an mp3 that, True. that didn't come until well when the, the late 90s on on my yeah. pc yeah
2: yeah yeah we talked about when we talked about up uh, um so there we have it thank you to jason scott for hosting this wonderful site and thanks to the anonymous people that put it yeah i say anonymous um not the people with the masks on just anonymous people that have made it and he's hosted it uh and i as i said before not 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 this mask either. Um, And I said before, I feel like the old web has disappeared. Uh, But this, along with several other tools, things like Frogfind and the old net and other things like this, then maybe we'll be able to get the unique and important websites and the data accessible.
0: Time now for our community question of the week. Now, last week's question was all about couch co-op or competitive couch gaming ready seti go uh, couch sofas or setis pick your term and um, the question was what is your go-to title when your family or friends gather around for some gaming we're talking about local gaming only no internet connection required um, and then it says just under the question here beat saber is always fun especially in vr is that something that duncan has oh, added his ear i think a so beat yeah sabre
1: Gamer. that's a fantastic game yeah
0: you can't you short sure, you can't play beat saber on a couch you got no be, that's true
1: up for that that's true but <laughs> it is it is a kind of party game there's always family members watching you make an idiot you of can't, yourself can't yeah play it on a
0: couch but um <laughs> yeah so if we pop over to the uh the forum now um the forum these the subreddit uh reddit.com forward slash this week oh website actually a website where you will always find the community question of the week posted and you can participate. And the top answer today comes from Gregorio. Gregorio. Yeah. Um, He says, Mario Kart, pick your version. Ever since Mario Kart 64, everyone in my family, including my mum would happily go around of two player GP. Uh, To this day, my nieces and nephews now upgraded to Mario Kart 8 still do what we did 25 years ago as kids and their grandma joins them too yeah mario kart firm favorite i mean even before mario kart 64 the super nintendo version was absolutely superb for some uh, couch gaming Um, and then plum creek replies mario kart double dash for the gamecube is my mario kart i played that version so much i could almost do some of the courses with my eyes closed i prefer it over the current version and Dave is holding up a banana skin, the um, yeah, the thing you don't want to see coming at you. Oh, that's uh, what it when was. When you're playing Mario Kart. Yeah, yeah. Who wants to read the next answer?
1: I'll go. Yeah. So this is, um, is it? Yeah, Plum Creek. Uh, this isn't my go-to title anymore because I don't have it, but way back in the early 1980s, it definitely was. The Quest for the Rings on the Magnavox Odyssey 2. It was the very first uh, co-op multiplayer multiplayer title I ever played. I remember spending many hours on the couch with my siblings and cousins playing through the game, switching between the board game on the coffee table and the video game on the TV, collecting the rings, fighting our way through the various dungeons and getting getting killed way too often by the expletive uh, dragon. It was an amazing hybrid gaming experience with premium components and a beautiful box and manual. I might have to look that one up because the Philips G7000 is essentially a Magnavox Odyssey 2. So I hope it's available on that. That'd be interesting.
2: The Qbert dragon. The way he spelt the expletive there. <laughs>
1: yeah, that's true.
2: <laughs> <laughs> the Qbert dragon. <laughs>
0: uh, well, Dave, do you want to read out the third yeah. most popular answer? It's a very
2: short one. I, I- yeah, and I'm gonna argue with it. Um, it's the jp and he says Worms, it's still an absolute absolute riot. Now, he's right, Worms is Worms is fantastic. What's the one, Neil, that we play sometimes? Uh, Worms Armageddon, is it?
0: Oh, yeah, it's the one on Steam, web is the Mass it, Destruction? We can play over the web, yeah. WMD, yeah. It's really yeah. Yeah, we're,
2: we're, yeah, we're, that's yeah, that's it. Yeah, nice. Worms is great, but I'm gonna argue, and the next answer actually makes the point STFM you, can't, you just can't use an Atari ST from a couch. So my couch here <laughs> was PlayStation, Diablo, Tony Hawk, Gran Turismo. On the rare occasions we gathered the PCs for some null. Modem Gaming it was dual, Doom or Command & Conquer. Yeah, you can't play Worms on the couch.
0: Yes, you can. Yeah, still you like can. It, can you? I've got, 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 got it on the PS4. I've got it on the PS4. The can, original yeah. PlayStation. It's on plenty of oh, consoles. And Worms, was, uh, Worms 3D, oh, which
1: which most people hated, Worms 3D. That was available on the original Xbox, and we loved that as a family. Fantastic. Fatkin Strike.
2: Yeah. yeah. Can't get enough of that. I'm corrected. I've been corrected. <laughs> you can play Worms on the couch. I I'm, I was just thinking about the, the original one on, on the Amiga and the PC. Um, but, yeah, there you go. Great answers. Worms, at worms is great. Worms and Lemmings is, I think, lem- two-player Lemmings is even more evil than Worms. My favorite um,
0: cooperative experience recently was, uh, okay, admittedly, you couldn't really do it with a couch, but we were testing uh, the Gauntlet 2 arcade that we've got here, the the, the four-player cabinet. Um, yeah. And we were having fun playing that, but then you get to the level like level four or five, whichever one it is when you become it and you've got to t- yeah. you gotta chase each other around the wizard and touch is each other. it and whoever's it, all the monsters chase and we just all started giggling. that was great that was great fun <laughs> playing that. Yeah. So thank you to everyone who participated in our community question of the week and if you want to answer this week's question, it's our Halloween themed question. It's quite simply what's your favorite scary game? Um, It can be any platform. It can be um, almost any age. I mean, we want want retro things. We are this week in retro. So um, let's say PS2, we might let a few PS3-era
2: games scrape in. What do you think, Dave? Does it have to be, are we going to say it has to be a kind of Halloween horror theme game, or are we going to say it has to be a game that actually scares you? Because I'd like it to be a game that actually scares you.
0: Yeah, it could be like... Pippa Funnels Show Jumping Horse Challenge if you wanted. If it scared you, it scared you. So feel free to, to put that forward and just tell us why it scared you.
1: Yeah. Mavis Beacons Typing.
0: Oh, those scary <laughs> flies when they hit the windscreen. Oof. That's scary. <laughs> you can't type fast oh, enough. Can't type fast <laughs> enough anymore. <laughs> As always, thank you, everyone, for taking the time to listen. We will see you over on the subreddit um, or same time, same place next week. Take care. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. Bye-bye.
1: Bye
2: bye mm. hello
1: <laughs> this week in retro was presented by Neil from RMC the cave Chris from 005 Agima,
2: and Dave it was produced by me Duncan Styles. the podcast version of the show is available through your favourite podcaster including Apple Podcasts and Spotify and the video version is available on the this week in retro YouTube channel
1: Join our community subreddit at r slash thisweekinretro to suggest and vote on the stories we cover on the show. If you watch This Week in Retro on YouTube, please give us a like and subscribe to help us reach new viewers. If you enjoy our show and would like to support it, then
0: please check out the link to our Patreon page in the show notes or description. Thank you for listening, and we'll see you next time for more up-to-date news for out-of-date tech.